0: welcome to the Echo Podcast, where we discuss how our hearts and minds can be an echo of God's heart and mind and what that even means in this world. We are Pastor Dan Singhorn and Adrian Tarullo from Shiloh Church of Jasper, Indiana, and we hope you're blessed by today's podcast. Um, So Pastor Dan, I wanted to, I don't even know where to start. I think I want to start with the podcast from last week. Okay. for just a second i guess not last week it was two weeks ago um mm-hmm. and we talked about the cockleburrs being stuck on your pants mm-hmm. and uh, at the very end you asked me like what what that means why is it important to ditch those and um your answer was that these cockleburrs give us drag on our way to god's lap mm-hmm. i i like to think of like swimmers how they shave their legs because mm-hmm. there's less drag um And I don't know if you did this intentionally. I sure didn't do this intentionally. But what a great setup for the season of Lent. You know? Because it's it's like there are these cockleburrs that are on us. And that's sort of the idea of Lent, right? Mm -hmm. Is taking one of those off so that you can... I don't know. How would you finish that sentence?
1: (laughs) Well... I've slept since then so I have to think back on what I might have you know what I meant then and what I would mean by that now not that it's changed that much but I think as far as applying to that that to the idea of lent I would say yeah you're right I mean there are things that we're going to intentionally take out of our lives for a little while to decrease the drag or the resistance you know so i think that's a good metaphor um <clears throat> i think fasting as i've understood it and the way that i've particularly tried to push it in the life of the church this year because every year i push fasting pretty hard on people and i do that in a variety of ways sometimes i just rail against the idea of frivolous silly fasts and sometimes I do it more as a I think as I am this year of trying to really seek the Lord in a particular way and hoping that corporately our fasting will enable something that the Lord has in store for the congregation and I I'm so but fasting in in my opinion and Based on what I see in Scripture, is about um, focus. So, in a in a world where so many things are vying for your attention, and so many things are distracting you, if you can just put aside a couple of those, so that you can be a little more focused on the rest of the things. I mean that that's one way you could interpret it. Um, I think that what we do as a form of fasting is something that's best kept to yourself yeah Um, somehow I think we diminish it when we name it and claim it and tell everybody well I've given up soft drinks for Lent and and it's like well okay but that's that seems to take something away from it
0: it's almost like prideful in a way
1: yeah And I just like the idea that it's very personal. And and so I'm not gonna tell you what my fast is this year, but I can tell you that it's one of the hardest I've ever taken on. And it's requiring moments for me where I'm really struggling against temptation because I'm trying not only to offer something up to the Lord that isn't frivolous, but i'm also sort of saying lord i want to break that temptation like like it's a twofold thing it's like i don't want that temptation to have power over me and then i'm also so i guess what i mean is is that i'm it, it's like you're doing it together with the lord you know mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and, and, and again, I, I don't have a problem with the, the analogy of the cuckleburs or whatever, but it's like fasting would be, I think, in the best sense, more than just plucking something off for a while, you know, and saying, I don't want that to distract me, you know. It's it's more of something you do together with the Lord. You You're saying... I want to be nearer to you, Lord. I want to be more in tune with your spirit. I I want my heart and mind to be in sync with your heart and mind. So I'm looking for that harmony of thought between me and the Holy Spirit. And if I do this thing, it isn't a sacrifice to earn your favor. It's a certain kind of discipline that I'm embracing so that I can change with you and by your grace you know so yeah that's kind of how I'm interpreting fasting it's it's not and and I think I think most of the things that we do in church and most of the Christian things that we associate with the disciplines of Christianity are often things that we can very easily morph into a matter of pride you know, um, like you said, if it's a if it's a, if it's a thing you want people to know you're doing, um, I think that goes right against things that Jesus was pretty explicit about. You don't have to interpret some of the things Jesus said with some, you know, Bible concordance and uh, and a, and a degree in something. You know, it's pretty obvious when he says that the person who walks down the street with their you know, giant check that you know the kind they give out on TV shows and and uh, for newspaper pictures, you know the you walking along with your big old check to Shiloh Church and you're walking down the street going, "I'm getting ready to deposit my check for ten thousand dollars." you know Jesus says they're getting everything that they it's all happening for them right then in that moment, and there's nothing left for them after that they they're getting their reward, you know? And, and he speaks of prayer as being like that. Don't, don't make a show of your prayer, go to your closet in private where the Lord meets you and pray. And so fasting is like that. It's something that you do as a matter of, of intimacy with the Lord, you know? Um, most of the really intimate things in our lives are done in private, you know? And why shouldn't this be too? So I don't know how well that addresses it but you kind of left it open ended because you know it's like yeah we're we're definitely trying to trim the sails we're, we're we're you know to use multiple analogies and multiple metaphors you know we're we're trying to get maximum performance out of our spiritual life um but i would say that that imagery falls short when it looks like we're doing everything we can do to get the maximum return on our investment as though it's about us and if there's one thing i think has to be drastically changed in our minds as christians is to never assume that god is pleased with us because we're so darn awesome you know like like you have to uh, and and neither does he want you to be so down on yourself that you think that he'll be impressed by how down on yourself you are. It's like, whatever you do, let it be for the glory of God. And as long as it's about his glory, then he's pleased. But pleasing him isn't the goal as much as just being with him. You know, the the unity with God is more important than pleasing God because, you know... The old married couple, they may not be... Um, I don't want to say they don't do things for each other because they do, but it's so subtle by the time they've been together for decades that that one completes the other and that there are two unique individuals but one spirit between them. And, and I think that's what God means for us with God is the intimacy, that doesn't require um a return on it at all that it's just a natural expression of a symbiosis that that has to be that way because we would be incomplete without it so that's why you fast i mean you know fasting is saying lord i don't think i'm as intimate with you as i should be and this is a way that i can build intimacy with the lord
0: and there are so many instances in the Bible of people fasting before literally being in the presence of the Lord. We just read about how Moses did that up on the mountain of Sinai. Um, and so it's it's definitely biblical to fast. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I was always a little conflicted over fasting. I didn't really know what that meant or why we should do it or anything like that. But it's becoming clearer now.
1: It's yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, well, and I think you and I have both talked uh, about our shared catholic upbringing and and this is not in any way to disrespect that but to say that at least for us it was unclear what the whole point of the thing was and i think that's the problem with most rituals is they become rituals that serve themselves and so no one ever says to you um least i didn't hear it when i was growing up but part of the reason i might not have heard it is because i wasn't even tuned into how to listen you know like maybe the priest said in the homily on that first sunday in lent hey folks the reason that we ask you to not eat meat on fridays or to fast for an hour before mass is you know to prepare yourself spiritually a lot of that has real deep rich meaning to it Mm -hmm. but It doesn't generate intimacy unless you intentionally do that. And there's the problem, right? You know, I mean, if we said fasting and prayer are just going to be a regular part of the life of the Shiloh family, and we were going to just ask people every week, how are your fasts going and everything, it wouldn't be long before people just wouldn't do it. And then they lie about doing it. And I don't mean they lie in some malicious way. They just, oh, it's going fine, you know. You you need to have seasons set aside for this sort of thing
0: mm-hmm. so
1: that it's intentional. And maybe one of the reasons that we struggled growing up is because there were so many rituals and and practices that were all part of being that, brand of Christian that we just didn't give it its due because it was all so common. You know, and and sometimes, it, you know, uh, recently I was talking with somebody about whole things like church picnics and events that you do that require a great deal of effort and how they can become really mundane when they come with relentless regularity every year. It just seems like the minute you're done you're already planning for the next one and on and on it goes and and how some entities that I'm aware of have chosen to have that event only every five years or only every you know ten years or whatever the and uh, there's a passion play that happens in a place in Germany that is only done every 10 years and the whole town and half the people in the region are involved in it but they only do it every 10 years and that's like okay you know because it's big big deal and it loses something if it becomes uh, routine so i think that's again it kind of goes along with that you know like why do we why do we fast certain times of the year because if we did it all the time it would lose something
0: mm-hmm. you know I think periods of fasting help us to see more clearly too yeah um in a way you're you have more clarity throughout your life um and
1: it might be worthwhile just to point out for anybody who's listening that doesn't know that we have defined fasting around here as not being limited to food because a lot of people think of it as a food thing partly because religious fasts are usually about food or most often about food um and because they can also be medical fasts that are about food and so forth so we want to be really clear that we've defined fasting around here as sacrificial uh, suffering which the catholics have a word for that that's really handy called mortification right you know it's putting your flesh uh to the test just a little bit you know and and so so your fasts can involve food, but they could also involve other things that you want to surrender for a season. You know, and I mentioned to people back at the beginning of Lent that maybe they give up one of their streaming channels, or maybe they, um, you know, give up something that that has become a routine that routinely distracts them from the Lord. Whatever it is, you know, and they say, "Well, Lord, I'm just going to let that go for." the season of lent so that I can be more focused on you. So so for the sake of anybody listening who's take, taking what we're saying as an indication that they should fast, understand that fasting is is something you dedicate to the Lord for the sake of your intimacy with the Lord and it could be you know, I don't know, it could be I'm just making this up off the top of my head. It could be that that uh, you're not going to wear blue jeans for the entire season of Lent just because you want to change things up a little bit because it makes you think harder when you're getting dressed in the morning because you don't just go to your favorite pair of jeans and slide them on. You actually have to think, and maybe in the process of thinking, you focus on why you're doing that and that makes you focus on the lord and so in the process of thinking about what you're going to wear you're also thinking about your intimate relationship with the lord and i'd say mission accomplished so that's just an example but yeah i'm very random one at that because i just thought it up
0: sure i haven't actually heard that one before so you must have just made it up
1: (laughs) well you know why i was thinking about it because i have this thing that uh, has changed in my life where um at any moment i might have to go somewhere where they would prefer that i don't wear jeans and it's really torture for me (laughs) because i'd just rather wear jeans and flannel shirts every day as long as i live you know and or sweatshirts and uh, now all of a sudden it's like well I have to try not to wear ratty old blue jeans just because I'd rather do that. I have to think. And maybe I'll try to turn that into a fast now that I've mentioned it.
0: Yeah. I was reading a book once that suggested maybe fasting from a mirror, from your mirror. Mm. I'm like, whoa, that's interesting.
1: That is. That
0: hits to the core of vanity, right? And I don't think
1: the Lord really minds that we incorporate self-care into these things. Like, like I can tell you that my fast is an act of self-care as much as it is seeking intimacy with the Lord. And so for that matter, you know, it's like, yeah, Lord, I, I'm going to tell you up front that this is a real struggle for me, but the extra needed kick that will get me through it is knowing that i'm doing it for you so when i give up on myself i have to remember that i made a promise to you you might remember in your wedding i said that at the altar with you guys i said look you know you're gonna make a commitment to each other that people often figure out how to break but you're making a commitment to the lord and for his part there won't be a justification like like the whole point of going to the altar in a wedding is to say we might find fault with each other but we'll never be able to find fault with the lord which means that at least one person in this transaction is always going to be faultless and that's going to put us on notice that we need to be thinking hard about what we just decided to do you know and so in the same way my fast is like that there are things that i want to do for my own sake but because i made a promise to the lord i have to You know, it it makes me think, okay, I might find a reason to break a promise I made to myself. But I can't find a reason to break a promise I made to the Lord. He's not going to give me a way out. Yeah. And yet, I can sometimes excuse myself. So anyhow, (laughs) I see you have a list there.
0: Oh, these are just your sermon notes. I was just looking over them. Um, I like this sentence. I'm going to read it. And then you can offer whatever commentary you'd like on it because you wrote it. So I'm sure there's some commentary there. It says you're talking about like being a Christian, um, of course, and what that means, given the book, The Insurgents, that we're still talking about, which has been phenomenal. Uh, But this sentence says, giving your life to Christ is not an act of surrendering your freedom and sacrificing your worldly desires. It's an act of being set free and given an exciting ride into worlds unknown to you. And that was in summary of several metaphors that you gave us on Sunday. So I'm opening the floor (laughs) based on that sentence. Well,
1: that particular sentence came after I uh, used an illustration that Frank presented in not his book, but actually in one of his Thursday unfiltered emails. So he had written an email as as he he sends out emails every Thursday and this one in particular was um, about the um, fear of the Lord and what does that mean and he gave a sort of image uh, or illustration of a person on a motorcycle Which immediately I identify with because yesterday and today I've ridden the motorcycle to work because the weather is pretty decent.
0: Beautiful, yeah.
1: And uh, so I like riding my motorcycle and um, there's a certain, you know, almost everybody who likes motorcycles will describe it as freedom. And I'm not sure that's really the best word, but it really just has something to do with being exposed you know, you're riding on the back of this motorcycle and, and your body's out there in the open being, you know, affected by the wind and the air and the elements. And and uh, you're not in a cocoon shuttered in and closed in and a cockpit with the uh, sound reduced and air conditioning turned up and all of that. I mean, when you're on a motorcycle... You are experiencing a certain oneness with the road and the environment that you don't experience in the same way in a modern car. And I think that's what motorcycle riders like to call freedom. And maybe, like I said, freedom's not really the right word, but in this case, it's not bad. Because I know if I was talking to Frank right now, he'd say, well, you're taking my... I can almost do his voice in this one. You're taking my metaphor a lot further than I meant it to go. (laughs) But basically, I started with the idea that he presented, which was that when you live within this fear of the Lord, it's not fear in the sense that you have this negative predisposition towards God. Like, if I mess up, I'm done, man. He's going to as as, uh, as Dave Ramsey likes to say you know he's going to take you out and leave a grease spot where you were you know it's <laughs> yeah. like no that's not fear of the Lord in the same sense and and a, and a, just for the sake of being fair with Dave Ramsey that's not what he meant either but he was using that metaphor or that picture in the same way to say you know when we treat God that way that's the God we get you know God isn't like that he wants you to be free in his uh deliverance it's 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 almost like he's rescued you from this awful terrible you know dark volcanic landscape where nothing could survive and he's transplanted you to a place that's alive and 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 beautiful and and lush and you know so he's taken you out of a a, you know how many times in your life have you driven past a a corral where horses are standing in mud and water and muck and you think you know these poor horses they want to grow uh they want to grow through their lives running in fields that are green and lush and you know so imagine you've been rescued from this muddy corral where your life is very limited and and ugly and and you've been transferred to a place of light and life and liberty but it has boundaries too and the boundaries are there to protect you. And the boundaries are there to say, be free, but understand that even freedom comes with certain limitations. You, so now back to the motorcycle analogy, you have this freedom of being one with the road in a way that you don't notice. I'll tell you one of the most important things I notice when I'm riding my motorcycle is, is the way the road feels. Is I can see it. It's right under me. I, I there's nothing separating my vision of the road, like when you're in your car, you're looking out over your hood, and then you're looking at a space that's beyond your hood because your field of vision is limited. So, so you have a whole different interpretation of the road. But when you're on a motorcycle, you're literally looking down or seeing in your peripheral vision the t- the contour and the texture of the road and feeling it all at the same time so you feel very connected with the road and and you just naturally because you're balancing on two wheels at speed you even naturally sort of roll and flow with the road and and so this is what i think motorcycle riders love is this this sort of of you know intimacy with the road and with the vehicle and with the environment and it's all very personal and and so when frank gives this analogy basically what i got from it was is that god has turned you loose on your motorcycle in this place of freedom that he's taken you to and then he slid back to the seat back behind you And then he's grabbed your face shield and pulled it down so you can't see. And he said, now go, and I'll tell you when to turn right or turn left. I'll tell you when to speed up or slow down. I'll tell you exactly what to do. And I want you to just enjoy the feel of the road and the feel of the air. I want you to enjoy the whole thing, but I want you to let me do the driving. Literally, you are going to operate the machine, but I'm going to be the one telling you. You know, so you're like a blind person driving a car. This is an old movie that's really good called Scent of a Woman. And there's this, Al Pacino plays this blind man who's driving, he's test driving a car. He persuades the salesman to let him test drive a car without the salesman figuring out that he's blind. And then he takes the car for a ride and he has his friend Charlie telling him what to do because he can't see
0: oh my goodness you know
1: and so he's test driving this like ferrari in the streets of a city like i think it's new york and he's he's driving down streets at 70 80 mile an hour you know and and he can't see where he's going he's just counting on the guy in the passenger seat to say okay you need to turn right in about 100 yards you know so anyway, it's like that. that was so so that, was, that was kind of Frank's analogy. Is that you have this freedom, but your freedom is entirely dependent on your intimacy with the Lord. And the Lord, for the sake of that intimacy and love, is giving you direction and boundaries. So, so there's, no, there's no real freedom, not in the sense that, you know, because there's a difference between freedom and anarchy. Right? I guess maybe that's the the way to illustrate it. Um anarchy says that whatever I wanna do, whatever I feel, you know, that's like Lord of the Flies, another classic piece of literature that's about total anarchy basically. Yeah. And and so the whole idea is is that God isn't inviting you to freedom that comes without limitations and disciplines and boundaries. He's inviting you to freedom. Where the limitations and the boundaries enhance your experience of the freedom, you know that that he's protecting you from from wandering into harm's way. He's he's guiding you towards an enrichment of your life that you can't imagine on your own. Um, he's asking you to explore places that you would never think about going, and. That's why in that quote, I'm saying, you know, it's not like the Lord is inviting you to a um, a harsh discipline, a legalistic affair where you have to dress a certain way, cut your hair a certain way. You know, we all know those churches and those religions where people all uh, uh, all accommodate certain expectations that are part of the culture. And they say, we do this because, but what they really don't know anymore is, I do this because, they, they know why we do this, but they don't know why I do this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and that goes kind of along with what we were saying about fast when we were growing up in Catholic church, like, you know, a lot of people know what we do, but they don't know why I do it, and the i part is where it's about your relationship with god and your religion is there to help you have the best relationship with god see i don't have a problem with religion the problem that i have is more with people who have worshiped the religion more than letting the religion be a vehicle for worshiping god you know it'd be like me more you know worshiping my motorcycle instead of being really grateful to god that i can be intimate with him on my motorcycle i mean it's a totally different thing
0: yeah that's an important question to ask ourselves as we do certain rituals and certain things like that why am i doing this you know um i think it's easy to get caught up in that this is just how we do it this is what we do okay well why um It reminds me of a conversation I had with someone close to me a few days ago, and they said, Adrian, will you please help me know what to give up for Lent? I don't know what to do for Lent. I'm like, yeah, I I could walk through that with you, sure. And um, I asked this person, I said, well, so to start with, what does Lent even mean to you? And this person said, well, historically, Lent is, and I said, nope, I'm going to stop you right there. I normally don't cut people off because I hate it when people do that to me. But I said, I don't care. (laughs) Maybe that's not something I should say online, but I'm like, I don't care what institution has told us for what we should think of Lent. What does it mean to you? Because it is a personal offering between you and God. Like It's a personal connective point. Um, So I don't um, know. I just wanted to share by that. By the
1: way, you can forgive yourself for what you said online because it's context. It's all about context. Yeah. You can love someone even as you're saying to them, shut up, start over. <laughs> yeah. Because they know instinctively that you don't mean that the way it sounds. You're saying, you asked me to help you and what you're doing isn't helping. Mm-hmm. And that's what I heard you say because you're you're saying don't tell me what lent's about tell me what it means to you see and i think that was a very loving thing for you to do as a friend and as a christian sister you know you because that's really that's what the communion of the saints is really about like like we're urging each other on in our journey with the lord you know that that's the that's by the way, where people who have found church really hard to reconcile with, that's where they're missing something really important that you you could, I find people are very hard to argue with about that because if they're really committed to not going to church, they'll give you a hundred reasons why it's church's fault. And some of those reasons are legit, but more often than not, it turns out that they just don't want to give up some part of their life that that would take away from them. In other words, they don't want to give up their Sunday morning, you know. They don't want to give up their their one day to sleep in or whatever, you know. And and you know what, I'd rather just be honest about that than give me all those reasons why church is awful. Because I happen to know that a lot of people have had negative experiences with church and they have good reason to fear trying again. But an awful lot of people just decide they don't want anything to do with it because they're they're just comfortable, and giving giving church an important part in their life means that something else has to go to a less important part, and it might be that extra sleep on Sunday morning, or that news program you like to watch, or that that uh, golf game, or whatever. I get it, I really do. But bring it back to what you were saying is is that that we need relationships with other christians so that they can say things that are helpful like what you just said about your friend you know like i want to know what to give up for lent but it's not enough to to uh for you as a as a discerning believer you're not willing to get let them off the hook with a simple canned reply Mm -hmm. and that's what we do for each other um I've been watching this show that our friend Katrina recommended to me. That's about a guy who leads a support group. And it's really interesting because it's very crude and funny and all of that. But behind it all is this understanding that without our support groups, we can't maintain the disciplines that we care about and we can't resist the temptations that wreck our lives. And so, and this, by the way, is an addiction support group on this show that I'm talking about. And it's like, see, we already know instinctively that we need to be around people who help us do the things we want to do and help us to not do the things we don't want to do. And the sad thing is this church is built for that. And a lot of people just never figure it out. So, like, all this talk about fasting and everything is really just a way to help us all do something we kind of want to do you know and we kind of want to get a handle on certain things that defeat us and and having a divine purpose behind it motivates us in a way that we can't motivate ourselves and having others who share that sort of view of it all is really important so you know trying to go it alone as a christian is completely contradictory to what being a christian is about
0: yeah that support community is so important and that's one of the things i love most about shiloh is because there are so many awesome people Mm -hmm. around and we support each other um and i think another thing that church should be is um going back to your sermon when you talked about the virtual reality glasses that you put on right you're so if you didn't hear the sermon last week here it is um well no here's not i'm not giving the sermon well, but no, i was
1: really i was <laughs> going to get comfortable and see what happened next.
0: no there was a portion of the sermon um where you talked about how you're in the room right you're just in a normal room and you look around and you see everything there and then you put on these virtual reality glasses or goggles and it just feels like you're fully immersed in this different world and you can just kind of escape there but it's so clear and so vivid and i think church should be that too in our walk with christ church should give us a glimpse into heaven you know we we should get that from church Mm -hmm. you know i know church should not be a consumer thing Mm -hmm. but you know it can be a great tool to showing us what life with christ looks like
1: i had a really good time with that analogy and I don't know how well it worked for people in in our congregation but so a couple of years ago well it was a year ago this last Christmas my family got me well my my bride Laura got me a a set of these Oculus uh the the meta Facebook company's version of virtual virtual reality goggles or, or headset in fact, what she did was she got it secondhand from my sister, who's a bit of a tech nut, and she wanted a better version, and I got her hand-me-ups, which is okay. I don't care. And I was very incredulous about, like, like I don't want to spend the money to buy the set new or something because I wasn't even sure if I'd like it, you know. It was like So this was the perfect way for me to get introduced to this because it was a relatively inexpensive way for someone to give it to me as a gift which is the only way it was going to happen because i wouldn't buy it for myself right mm-hmm. and so all this to say this is how i ended up with these and the, a couple of things i noticed right away that were so perfect for interpreting um this christian worldview versus the world's view via the flesh um, these things when you put them on you can double tap them with your finger and they have what they call pass through and you can see even with these goggles on your face you can see beyond the goggles into this uh room wherever you are you know it's like i've been using these in my bedroom a lot lately And so I'll be in the bedroom sitting in my rocking chair with these goggles on and the pass-throughs turned on. And so I can see my bedroom. But what I'm actually seeing is the image of my bedroom projected onto the screen inside the headset that is black and white. Like the whole thing is very gray and grainy and black and white. Hmm. And so I'm seeing... My room. I'm seeing my world of my flesh, but I'm seeing it as a gray zone. That's, you know, it's, it's like this perfect metaphor. And, well, okay, so regular listeners and Adrian will probably know that right now I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis' book, The Great Divorce, which I refer to all the time. <laughs> and literally, I see with the pass-through turned on, with the virtual reality goggles the gray world that Lewis starts with in that book where people are living outside of God's realm. But then you double tap the thing and you're in the VR world and it's bright and vibrant and vivid and and just immersive and it's just like, wow, you know, and, and you totally, dis, completely disconnect from this reality that is right under your feet, literally, and within your reach. I, I know because when I do certain physical exercise, I have a, a you know a, a sort of boxing-type workout that I do with my VR goggles. And Man, if I'm just a little too close to my dresser and I go to punch one of those doogies that's coming at me on my virtual reality workout, uh-huh. I punch my dresser and dang, that hurts. Yeah. But, but that's also because even though i can't see it it's there right and so i i use this whole thing i kind of fleshed it out in the sermon so i was using this whole sort of like what i just described to say that's what happens when we are born again in the holy spirit we we're now seeing the world of vivid color and light that is the world that the lord has seen for us and desires for us to in uh, to to indwell and it's eden basically now listen the metaphor doesn't go any further than that because you know as as fun and colorful as all the things are in my virtual virtual reality goggles it's all very cartoony and not real right you know you can watch videos and things that are pretty awesome but i mean the parts that you interact with are video games but but it's like that's exactly how i interpret what it means to be born again is is that not being no longer uh you're in the world but you're not of the world it's it's because now that you're not of the world anymore everything in this reality is like that gray zone when the pass-through is turned on on your goggles and then you get back into your intimate relationship with the Lord by double tapping and switching off the gray zone outside and just being in this realm that exists in inside the virtual world of these goggles and and boy folks if you're not tracking with me I'm sorry but the thing you need to understand is I'm using this as an analogy it's not don't there's nothing beyond that for me it's just a way of interpreting what the difference is between the world of the flesh and the world of the spirit and how the lord through jesus's salvation has invited us to become spirit in in our being to become eternal creatures again as uh the sons and daughters of adam god's those made in god's image and and like all of that i can kind of in a way describe as being the difference between looking at the world of the flesh now that you have new eyes to see the world of the holy spirit and and the the world of god's realm you know and you can't function entirely in that virtual world or that world of the spirit because it's not here yet it's it's uh it's the uh Uh, it's the thing that theologians call the um, now but not yet or or the you know it's it's as though the holy spirit and the new the kingdom of god the new creation are are present but there's a veil that still separates us because sin hasn't entirely been completely defeated and dealt with because the world of the flesh is still here and um so yeah i don't i don't know i kind of i was just really having fun trying one more time to explain that analogy because it was cool like like when i hit on that last week in fact what happened was i'd written my sermon notes and i pretty much prepared what i wanted to say sunday and then i came in sunday morning and i thought I don't like the way I wrote that. And I literally started, as soon as I got here, revising my sermon notes. And part of what I did in the revision was was to get that reference about the virtual reality goggles down. And, and then, ironically, now this is pretty amazing when you think about it, because I don't know what to make of it. I, there's a whole discussion that we could have if we were doing a different kind of podcast about this. right now we use podbean to upload and transmit these podcasts and i podcast i transmit two different podcasts every week the one you and i are recording right now and one that's just my sermon i say just but it's not a podcast it's really just the modern way of distributing sermon recordings to the shut-ins you know and just so happens anybody can listen they don't have to be shut-ins from the local church well so podbean has got this technology that they are putting uh, making available and i'm experimenting with it where it not only processes the recording i upload but it ai enhances it by writing a transcript and sort of a uh, like a promo vi- they make a blurb about it like like the ai writes what the podcast is about this week hmm. right so if you read, and and like I said, people who follow the podcast, they can tell that the descriptions have gotten a lot more vivid because I always just wrote, well, Adrian and Dan talk about stuff, you know, <laughs> and that's about as far as it goes, because I don't get real imaginative about describing what we talked about. But this thing, this AI thing has been writing, you know, two or three paragraphs about what we talked about. And I read them and I go, wow, we talked about all that. That's <laughs> cool. <laughs> Well, the AI described in my sermon recording, it described what I, it, it took my virtual reality goggles imagery and the AI said, Pastor Dan talks about having spiritual reality goggles. Hmm and i thought wow ai that's pretty good yeah. <laughs> wish i would thought of that
0: <laughs> that's really good <laughs> so kind of scary good yeah it is <sighs> it,
1: right so so in the in the recording of the sunday sermon that i uploaded on podbean the ai from podbean wrote two or three paragraphs about what i talked about in the sermon and one of the things it included was the description of spiritual reality glasses and i thought that'll preach yeah that that's right up there with cardboard jesus
0: i know that's what i was thinking maybe ai is the one that came up with cardboard jesus could be (laughs) that's funny um there was one thing i wanted to ask you about as i was reading through these notes And, uh, you said the distinction between the gospel of libertinism and the gospel of legalism sets the stage for discussing the fear of the Lord. Frank emphasizes that this fear is not a relic of the old covenant, but is a blessing of the new covenant, a gift from God himself. And I guess maybe it's because we're like deep into the old Testament now, but I just can't help but think that, um, the old Testament is that legalism, right? So it's like, We're finishing up Exodus, going into Leviticus, and there's so many rules and so many things. And these people quite literally had fear of the Lord because if they weren't sanctified, if they didn't go through the process um, before they entered into God's presence, they would die, like literally. Like you said earlier, Mm -hmm. they would just grease spot on the floor. Um, That's how things were. And so when I read fear of the Lord, especially right now, that's what I'm thinking. So what, what, I guess this was Frank's, Thing, because you said Frank emphasizes that yeah. this fear is not a relic of the old covenant, but is a blessing of the new covenant, a gift from God Himself. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Well, for one thing, this is again referring to a uh, Thursday email that he sent out recently,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, which I cited because it goes along so well with our a study of his book *Insurgents*, and so. In in the insurgents book, it's it's called "Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom." Um, In that book, that like one of the main emphases is this separation between the three gospels. He calls them the gospel of legalism, the gospel of libertinism, and then the true gospel. And the gospel of legalism, basically, as you said, stems from, from this natural tendency we have, especially when we look at the Old Testament description of God, as being a matter of getting the rules right because the consequences of breaking the rules are pretty frightening. Or at least that's how we've interpreted it. Now, I don't know what it would be like to live in a world of the Old Testament only because I'm product of the world of the new testament and so as people who are new testament believers whether we became new testament believers in 300 a.d or whether we became new testament believers in 2024 the reality is is that we interpret everything the bible says through christ now and christ is god's message of grace and god's grace enacted you know and, and so I don't know what it's like to be an Old Testament believer, but one thing that I can do is I can imagine that this was a world where all the gods that people worshiped, even Yahweh, the one true God, are interpreted as supreme beings who will not tolerate noncompliance. And so it's just really easy to imagine. And, and in a world where you don't have the technology and the knowledge, you know, people's nature has not changed one bit. Humans are the same then as they are today in their nature and their way of you know, living and, and being. But, but we benefit from a vast knowledge that they didn't have. And that doesn't make us smarter than them. It just means that they were smart as they could be given what they knew about things and so when things they couldn't explain because they didn't have satellites that showed them the hurricane that was 500 miles away a week before it came you know they didn't have any way to interpret why this massive storm just came and tore things up now i know literally that's not true of that region of the world but you know just to make the point stick like we have the ability to know what's coming and why it's happening because of the technology and the science which by the way did not happen exponentially until god saved the world through jesus christ now i'm going to make i could make a whole other episode around that Hmm. that that the world grew in its technological and other forms of knowledge and interpretation exponentially after the world saw salvation through christ so that even when people think that they thought of that god is giving them this knowledge and so it's like god did not only unlock uh and it's a whole other topic and i don't want to go off on it but 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 what what i want to say just for the sake of discussion is, is that when we think that we got so much smarter than those people we have to realize nobody got that much smarter until god opened god's heaven to the world through jesus christ Mm. you know prior to that the lesser gods gave knowledge illicitly and kind of illegally like against god's rules to people and god routinely shut that down (laughs) for various reasons that are a whole other discussion but to come back around to the whole fear of the Lord thing and, and the libertine versus the legalist, we, we look at the Old Testament people who, as though they were doing everything out of fear, like fear of punishment. Yeah. And, and they interpreted everything negative that happened to them as a form of punishment. And even in that, the Bible does sort of confirm it because it says, "Well, the Lord let your enemies have their way with you because you were disobedient." And so, the world of the Old Testament gives you this impression that God is vindictive, that God is quick to punish, and that, you know, and and if you have the benefit of the Holy Spirit and the story fulfilled through the New Testament. You can look back at the Old Testament and see that this was God disciplining an unruly race. It, it's almost as though the Old Testament is the story of 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 the children of Adam growing up from infants to toddlers to adolescents and you know, like like we weren't ready to enter into a relationship with God that was more on equal terms until Jesus came and and there's a kind of sense that that what we're witnessing in the entire Bible is the birth and maturity of a chosen people, <laughs> you know? And the, the marriage supper of the Lamb is the culmination of that in, in, the, in the New Testament. So, so you start with this kind of childlike nation where they have to be told, don't eat roadkill, that stuff's diseased and nasty. It's got bugs in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, really? You have to tell them that, Lord? Yeah, they were that dumb. Yeah. You know. Not ignorant in, or not they were ignorant. They weren't they they were people just like any other people. But what you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean there's just there's just no way around it, you know. These people were they were cared for and kept in Goshen like pets that were you know or or farm animals that were there to serve the Egyptian gods and you know and so why would they want these people to have too much knowledge no, that would be a bad idea slaves make better slaves when they're ignorant and they are actually convinced that this is all because of their inferiority this is just how it's supposed to be so keep them ignorant and make them believe that this is the order of things you know and so then god takes them out and says i'm going to make you a free people i'm going to give you a land of milk and honey and first thing he has to do is tell them you know don't eat that um it's really important that you do all of your your personal business outside of the camp if you do that in camp you invite disease you know like like god has to tell them everything Because they're just that ignorant. And yet, by the time we get to the New Testament, they've turned God into this boss that's always telling them, do this and don't do that. So they, in effect, basically, in effect, the people of Israel escaped slavery and then enslaved themselves all over again. Mm. By creating a system of obedience to God's rules that was a form of slavery. And so that's literally why Jesus sets us free, you know? And so that's what legalism is. It's always a matter of trying to somehow dumb down the relationship with God into a set of rules that we can follow and then be right with God. And people, I I think legalism, and and legalism and libertinism, for that matter, are best interpreted in terms of, of uh, a spectrum. Like, cause there's no there's no black and white anything really in the world. Everything is sort of a spectrum. You know, at one end of the spectrum of legalism, you have ultra hyper legalistic people and systems, uh, and and what you get is like extreme Islam for example where they'll cut off a person's hand for breaking a rule or they'll kill someone for breaking a rule or whatever because it's just a literal hyper strict interpretation of the rules but then on the other end of the liberal or on the other end of the the literal interpretation and legalistic view is punishment but with caveats like well you know you can't you didn't know but now you know you know and so legalism can be generous at some ends of it but it can be extremely harsh at the other and so the legalism always comes back to how well we obey the rules and basically who's in charge of interpreting the rules and punishing us because it's never god like like even in islam you know it's like it's like who's actually doing the cutting off of hands and heads and things it's not some god it's not you know it's people who have been self-appointed or systematically appointed to decide whether you are playing by the rules properly so legalism always makes us slaves and our masters are usually our peers right so libertinism on the other hand takes it in a whole different direction saying basically that freedom in christ or freedom for uh, the sake of my Islam analogy is more of an interpretation of, of uh, the teachings of Islam and, and how you choose to live them is a matter of your own expression and interpretation. In the same way, we'd say Christians do that. We, we have Christians who are very general in their interpretation of what it means to be christian but at the end of the day where the two tend to meet and this is why i think frank describes the third gospel because he doesn't see a point of convergence as being the goal like Mm. in other words if you if you can have a religion that somehow occurs at that point of convergence between legalism and libertinism then that would be perfect i mean that's what people would assume right but what he's saying is no that the 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 real gospel doesn't exist on that plane and so having a perfect balance of libertinism and legalism is still a religion that doesn't grasp the heart and soul of the gospel And so what we fight against or rail against constantly in local churches like this one is people who are legalistically, albeit mildly, going through the motions because it just makes them feel like they've appeased God and God owes them something. And then they say, but he won't care if I drink a little too much on Friday nights cuz he understands it's been a hard week and I need to unwind, you know. He won't care if I do this or I do that. And and it's like you you're you're interpreting you're basically painting God in your own image. Either way, you're painting God in your own image and that's the problem with living on that spectrum of libertinism versus legalism is that they're both all on the same sort of plane. And the gospel, the true gospel, is a gospel that doesn't even exist on that plane. It's a gospel of, of love and grace. It's a gospel that says, let's go for a ride together. Oh, you're driving, but I want you to close your eyes and let me tell you how to go.
0: What a great trust exercise.
1: (laughs) I promise I have no intention of doing that. So if anyone in the area should happen to see a guy with a white helmet and a green gold wing driving down the road erratically, it won't be because my eyes are closed. (laughs) It might be because I'm having a seizure or something, but it won't be because my eyes are closed because I will not literally interpret that analogy.
0: I promise. That's funny. All right. I don't think I have anything else for this week.
1: Well, y'all pray for Adrian. she had some surgery and on on her knee, and and uh, she's been sitting there trying not to be miserable, and uh, I know she's uncomfortable, so say a prayer for Adrian. And obviously, if you're listening to this three years from now, you can say thank you, Lord.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate it.
1: Okay. It right. well, sounds like it sounds like we're done. So thanks for listening, everybody. You know, feel free to comment and uh, feel free to uh, let us know where you are. I I really always want to know that. when When I look at the statistics uh, on Podbean, it shows people all over the world listening, and I find that really amazing. But I kind of wish those people would just drop us a line, and and you don't have to do anything except say. I really am listening from Sydney, Australia, it, because I'd just like to know if that's for real or if it's just Google messing with me, you know. Yeah. Because we have people that listen in India. We listen, people, I mean, there are places where I know the native language is in English and and, and honestly, even people who speak English probably find me difficult to understand. <laughs> And, and so I would really enjoy knowing if these folks who are listening around the country and around the world, I'd love to know why Google says that we got like 300 downloads from Oregon a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. Like, what is up with that? So as a non-podcasting world aficionado, or to put it a different <laughs> way, as someone who really is, does, I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm still a novice. I really haven't learned anything new except how to make recordings. I don't know how to interpret this data. I really don't. So, listeners, if you want to help us interpret the data by adding a layer of reality to it, by just saying, hi, my name's uh, Frida, and I really do live in the UK, that would be fun. I'd just love to hear from you. I I just think it would be interesting. So, you know, consider that. Tell Adrian take care of her knee or something. (laughs) All right, folks, we'll see you next time.
0: Bye.